Good morning. Good morning. It's, uh, I'm glad to be with you guys here this morning. I'm excited for the series that God has uh, been taking us through. And uh, just uh, to see how people are, are making decisions within their lives, how God is leading them to make certain decisions. Last week, I don't know if you guys are all aware of this or not, but last week we had two people here give their lives to Christ. And, and uh, that is why I am so passionate about seeing a new church started and seeing new churches started all through Hampton Roads area. Because when you start a new work, there is fresh life there. And within that fresh life, you see those kind of decisions made quite more frequently than you do in maybe an established church that has been there for a while. And so I'm excited for just what God is doing within Awaken, but I'm more excited for what God is doing within our lives as individuals. Because that is what, uh, what makes up what God is doing within the church as a whole. And uh, this, this series, we've been uh, <clears throat> talking about stories and the stories that God is telling in your life and my life and how God uses those stories uh, to share his larger story of his grace and his mercy with those around us. And just to, to, to be able to be a part of that last week, I was excited all week just to know that we were able to see people give their lives to Christ last week, to go from death to life, to see a, a newness, a freshness that they now will spend eternity with God as, as uh, I pray that the rest of us are as well after we also have made decisions to follow him. But uh, this morning we're going to talk about that, decisions, and uh, decisions define us, right? Uh, and there, there's one decision I'm going to have you guys watch a video of, and this decision, you have to remember, I'm from Northeast Ohio, okay? And, and this decision that you're going to watch this video of, I, let, let me just say it hurt me deeply. Take a look at this. And it are, are going to be my counseling session, okay? Because, I, I don't know, are any of you guys basketball fans? Anybody? I, I'm a huge basketball fan. And there, I think, I think I heard this the other day. There has only been, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's three teams, maybe four. This might be the fourth time in all of, uh, of, of professional basketball history that a team has gone from the best record in the NBA to the worst record in the M- NBA. And it's all because of one man's decision. Um, I'm pretty heartbroken over it, as you can tell. It's hard for me because LeBron James actually grew up in the same place I grew up. In fact, the high school he would have attended uh, was the same. What was uh, the high school we were like rivals? Okay, our high schools were, were, were rivals, and uh, so so I kind of understand. Do I want to play in Cleveland or South Beach? I, I kind of understand that a little bit, you know, because South Beach is a lot nicer than Cleveland. Has anybody ever visited Cleveland? Um, that, that explains it. Um, <clears throat> so I, I can understand kind of that, <clears throat> that mindset, and uh, I, I would much rather work in South Beach than Cleveland, Ohio. Um, but at the same time, that's like my hometown. And that decision, you know, has changed my whole outlook on basketball this season. So you ask me who's doing what, I have no idea, right? I just know the Cavs are not doing anything. Anyways, we'll we'll move on. Uh, Decisions. I want you to think back for a minute in high school. High high schoolers, is it fair to say that high schoolers make immature decisions? Is that fair to say? I'm sorry, you guys that are in high school, but when, when you become 30, you know, 20s, 30s, 
40s maybe. Uh, I don't know. I'm not there quite yet. Um, but you're going to look back and you're going to say, wow, you know, that was kind of a immature decision. I, I remember when, when I was in high school and, and a group of us went went uh, to this camp for a week. And I, yeah, it was like a week, and it, it, it was uh, a group of my, myself and some friends, and, and it was uh, it was with a church, but that doesn't really necessarily mean anything. Um, and we we they kind of separate out the high schoolers from the junior hires, right? And when you're in high school, it's like who are the junior hires? You don't pay any attention to the junior hires, and so they put us in this big A-frame cabin, and like upstairs was was a huge area to this cabin. That's where the junior hires stayed. Uh, the, the high schoolers then, there was a fewer of us, there was like maybe eight or uh, eight of us, nine of us, something like that. And we stayed uh, like down underneath this A-frame cabin and, and like this basement area. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, I don't know where the idea originated, but we got this brilliant idea to take aerosol cans of hairspray and to spray them up through the ductworks of this A-frame cabin. And, and so, the, the, the duck works, the, the, the hairspray would spray up through the duck works and, and all these junior hires are running around like wild banshees upstairs as junior hires often did, right? And we, we, uh, we, we got these ideas and we're like, well, we could spray this hairspray up there and, and it would like, you know, create a smell and maybe if somebody was walking over the vent, create a stickiness, right? But it was like, man, there's, there's gotta be more we can do. So we're starting to brainstorm as brilliant high school students. And say, well, what if you mix fire with aerosol cans, right? And say, you know, what if we like light a match and, and spray the, the can up through the vent? You know, you get this great big fireball upstairs, right? And, and these junior hires are going to think that like, wow, my youth pastor told me God was going to be at this retreat. And man, God showed up in a, not a burning bush, but pretty close, um, so we've got all these crazy ideas of things that we could do, decisions that we were going to make, right, as brilliant high school students. And uh, then all of a sudden, uh, the door opens. And one of the youth workers, I'll never forget this guy, his name was, uh, was last name was Grimm. We just called him Big Bad Grimm. I don't even remember the dude's first name. I, I need to apologize. But he opened the door, and he, he was like seriously like three high school students combined into one body. And he opens the door, and he's got this deep, grovelly voice, like, what are you guys doing? And uh, we're like, we didn't do anything. It was Balo. <laughs> one of, one, he was like the youngest of our uh, of the guys that we were hanging out with. And we're like, well, he, he's a freshman. It was, it was his idea, sir. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Big Bad Grimm, he's standing there, and he says, Balo, if you don't knock it off, you're going to sleep in the van. And, uh, and, <laughs> and so, uh, we, we kind of sat there and was like, sorry, sir, it wasn't us, you know, the young guys, man, we told them not to do it, sir. And, uh, so, so it's funny, like the joke, the rest of that, uh, that evening was big, bad, grim is going to make Balo sleep in the van, right? But it's decisions, right? And we all make decisions within our lives. Decisions, uh, define us, don't they? They define the steps that we'll take in life, they define the, the stories that we'll tell later, right? I'm sure you guys have some stories too that you can share. But but decisions will define, you know, the outcome for us in our lives. The decisions like LeBron is going to define the, like what has transpired in the whole city, really, hasn't it? It's 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 this it, that decision is, is has affected a whole market. It's affected a whole city, a whole state. So decisions that we make affect not just us but also those around us. 
And one of the things that I want us to look at here today is decisions that, that David made. Okay, We've been talking about David for the last uh, couple weeks through this series, Storytellers. And, and we, we talked about decisions as far as, you know, David made, made, made not such a good decision when he decided to sleep with Bathsheba and then murder Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, or had him killed out in the battlefield, I should say. Um, you know, decisions that, that David has made <coughs> to, uh, to, 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 uh, to not handle a situation that developed within his family where one of his, his sons raped his daughter. And we talked about that just the other week. And, and today we're going to talk about decisions when it comes to actually a wise decision that David has made. Because I, I don't want to stand up here and bash David every week, okay? The scriptures say that David was a man after God's own heart. And I think we're going to see a little bit of why that is here this morning. And one of the one of the decisions that we see early in David's life, soon after the battle of uh, uh, of David and Goliath, which actually we're going to look at next week, but this week this is like after that battle. It's like First Samuel eighteen through thirty one. Those chapters we're going to actually cover here in like five minutes. Uh, so like I think the first week we covered like. Three years. I think the second week we've covered like six years, and this morning here in five minutes we're going to cover like twenty-five years. So it's going to be a good time. Um, but uh, <clears throat> what we see after that battle of David and Goliath, we see that <clears throat> David forms this relationship with King Saul. Okay, King Saul was God's chosen man to to lead His people. He was the first king of Israel, King Saul. And, and and it was who God took and handpicked to lead the people of Israel. And, and after that that battle of David and Goliath, David forms this close relationship with King Saul. And, and things are, are are pretty good for the first you know first few years of that relationship. Saul takes and empowers David to command different armies. So David is commanding some different armies. He's just a young boy at this time. Uh, David is also pretty musical in his ability. So he's not just strategic, but he's pretty musical as well. And, and, and King Saul takes and uses David as one of his main musicians within his palace. Okay. And so these are the years like, you know, 12 years old up through his teen years, you know, uh, late teens, early twenties where, where this is happening. And then all of a sudden, as you read through scripture, David is starting to gain more notoriety than King Saul. Because David would take these, these, uh, th- these men out to battle and would win these battles. And if you look in 1 Samuel 18, it says that they started singing songs about David and how he killed so many men and so many men more than King Saul actually had killed. And, and so think of it this way. If you are the most popular guy in high school, you know, you're, you're the, you're the stud muffin, you know, the best looking, you know, the best athlete. And then all of a sudden there's a transfer student comes in and he is more studly. You know, he, he's a little more athletic and, um, everybody t- starts a, and everybody wants to be around this guy now, right? Well, that's kind of what's transpired here with, with Saul and David. And so there becomes this rivalry that develops. Okay, I, I think a rivalry is like one of the big rivalries. I, again, I'm from north uh, north of here, northeast Ohio. One of the big rivalries I think of, and I'll show you some others in here in a minute, but I think of Ohio State and Michigan, right? 
And I know this is like ACC country, and uh, everybody's like, well, the Big Ten is slow and stupid, and they, they, they can't play football, right? But I'm a, I'm a Big Ten guy, man. The Bucks, they're, they're always, you know, one of the top teams, and I, I love it now because Michigan, I don't think, has been ranked in the last 25 years, right? Um, but uh, there's some other rivalries here as well. Look at some of these. You know, there's a rivalry between uh, PC and Mac. How many of you guys are PC? I'm sorry to hear that. Come see me afterwards. I will show you what a real computer can do, okay? I say that with Drew, right? And Drew's like, whatever, dude. Uh, what's the next one? Pepsi and Coke. How many of you guys are like Pepsi drinkers? Yeah, me too. I don't, I don't, how many of you guys like Coke over Pepsi? Serious. Man, there's more problems here than I thought. All right. And, and then you got this thing here, Edward and Jacob. Um, I really don't understand this because I look at these two guys and I'm like, I could take them both, right? So I, I, I don't know. And the next one, you have Army and Navy, right? I, I'm sure if I say, hey, who's Army? Everybody, boo, right? Navy town. How many of you guys are Navy fans? Yeah, I really don't care. So um, <laughs> you have a sibling rivalries, right? You know, sister and sister. Uh, what's next? You have an Android and an Apple, a droid and an Apple, you know, a droid and an iPhone. Um, you have a Republican and Democrat. You have uh, Brady and Manning, right, getting ready for the Super Bowl here here next week. Brady and Manning, they won't be in it, but uh, I'm kind of glad, actually. I get tired of seeing those two guys. You have, uh, you have uh, UPS and FedEx, right? Um, all kinds of different rivalries. What else is that? Okay, all kinds of different rivalries that we see. And that's what happens between David and, and Saul. You see this rivalry build. In fact, it gets to the point where, um, where King Saul says, you know what? I'm going to have David marry one of my daughters. And it's kind of Saul's way to manipulate the situation to always keep his, his, his finger over, over David. And so he tells David, he says, and you have to remember, in that time period, the custom was you had to pay something to the father in order to marry his daughter, right? I'm glad that doesn't work here today. Um, but, uh, see, I was kind of on the bonus. I knew the father before the daughter, so great way to do it, guys. Anyways, um, but uh, so, so Saul approaches David, and he says, this is honest truth. He says, hey, David. You can marry my daughter. This is great. I, I love this part. I love scripture. Scripture is funny, okay? They, uh, Saul says to David, you can marry my daughter if you bring to me 100 Philistine foreskins. All right? If you're not sure what that is, I'll let you look, up, look that up later. Um, and, and David says, okay, that's cool. So he goes out, and you know what David does? He doesn't get 100 Philistine foreskins. He doesn't get 150 Philistine foreskins. He, he gets 200 Philistine foreskins. All right. He kills 200 Philistines, does a little chop-chop, and brings it back to Big Papa and says, all right, I want to marry your daughter. Can you imagine a group of guys sitting around a table? This is all in Scripture, guys. But can you imagine a group of guys sitting around a table, and they're just chatting. They're like, yeah, you know, I paid two goats for my wife. And, and David says, oh, yeah, 200 Philistine foreskins, bro. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And what the wife thinks about that? I was worth what? <laughs> but, uh, but, but that happens. 
And, and there's this rivalry that develops between Saul and David. And David ends up having to leave the palace because there's several occasions where King Saul tries to throw javelins and pin David to the wall and kill him. Okay? Because David, or because King Saul knew that David was God's next chosen person to become king after King Saul. And so it just drew, drove Saul crazy in his mind, scripture says. And so David had to run from the palace and David was on the run for many years. And so one of the passages we're going to look at here today is out of Psalms and it's one of the Psalms that David wrote as he was on the run from King Saul. And there's several different occasions. One occasion, King uh, David is hiding in a cave. And Scripture says that King Saul needs to relieve himself. So he goes up to the cave, and, uh, and, and, and David's men says, Here, now is the time, the opportunity to get rid of this guy and you to take your rightful kingdom. And so David goes up, and he cuts a corner of King Saul's robe off. And so King Saul does his business. He leaves the cave and goes back down from the cave. And David goes out and he, he shows the, the, the corner of the robe that he cut off. And it says that God broke his heart for doing even that. Because David noticed that he was taking things into his own hands and not trusting God and what God wanted to do through that story that God was telling in their lives. Another occasion, it says that uh, Saul was close uh, on uh, the tail of King David or future King David. And that all of a sudden, Saul got called away to go back to the palace because the Philistines were attacking and Saul needed to defend the palace. But we see this throughout the story of David and Saul and how God protected David through this, how God delivered David through this and that God had promised David that he would be that future king and David came to that place within his life where he trusted God and the decisions that God was making to lead David through that path of the dark caves that David would enter into the dark time that David would enter into while he was on the run from King Saul Turn to, turn to Psalm 57, if you would. If you uh, don't have a Bible with you, we would love to give you a Bible. If you want to slip your hand up, we would love to, to pass one out to you, and that could be your Bible. But we're going to be in Psalm 57 here today. And this is one of, the, one of the Psalms that David wrote while he was hiding in a cave from King Saul. And you have to imagine where David is at in his state of mind, his emotional awareness at this time, and just all the mix of emotions that he had to be feeling because he can remember back to the time when God spoke through Samuel and said that David would be the next king. And here all of a sudden, David can remember being in the palace of King Saul being admired and loved and respected and how that respect grew. And David had to probably think to himself, wow, look at this. God is raising me up to be the next king as he promised to do. And then now David is sitting in a cold, wet, damp cave somewhere on the run from King Saul, probably doubting and saying, did God really promise that? Because it's not turning out as I thought it would. Some of us have probably been in that situation 
where we remember hearing God's voice. God has promised that he wanted to do something. And it, it appears within our lives, how, oh, wow, look at that. God is working that and working that. And, work, and wait a minute. It's not going the way I anticipated it to go. And so God kind of takes us on a, on a detour path. But I believe that David shows through his emotions here and through this text of Psalm 57 how God was preparing him to be that king. How God was preparing David for the trials that David would have to do endure in the future. I think that's a lot of the same right now, to be honest with you guys. God is, God is preparing Awaken for its future. Has everything gone as we would have anticipated? Absolutely not. God is building and growing us to prepare us for the work that he is getting ready to do. And it's one step at a time, one step at a time. God brings a few people to himself. One step at a time, God is changing us in the midst of that. One step at a time. And we see that here in Psalm 57. Let's jump in and see how God then is preparing David one step at a time for the path that God is leading David on and to be that king that would be after God's own heart and lead God's people. Look at this. In verse 1 it says, David says to God, he says, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Where is David taking refuge at? Let me ask you that. Where is David hiding? Where is that? Where is David hiding? A cave? I, I understand why we would stop and think cave. I, I first thought cave to you. Okay, yeah, David is hiding in a cave somewhere. But it says here in this verse, it says, David is taking refuge in the shadow of the wings until this disaster passes. Above that it says, for in you my soul takes refuge. David is hiding in God. David has come to the place within this, this tragedy, as I'm sure David will call this a tragedy, on the run from his father-in-law that is king, and David is supposed to be king. David on the run from this tragedy, and he's taking refuge in God. What is the difference between Saul and David? I mean, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at King David and we've been seeing all these mistakes that David made within his life, right? And here we see King Saul. And if you continue to read through Saul, the story of Saul, you'll see that Saul does this downward spiral within his life where at one point in his life he's seeking advice and wisdom from psychics, and then at the end of Saul's life, as Saul then is running from God, at the end of Saul's life, he throws himself on his own sword. And, and, and so despite all these mistakes that David made, why is it that God looks at David and says, David is a man after in my own heart? Why is that? <laughs> 
Because he made some pretty horrible mistakes, right? Adultery, murder. At times he didn't lead his family very well. So how can David be a man after God's own heart? I wonder if it's right here in this passage where it says that David took refuge in God alone. David trusted God for the path that God was taking him on. You know, sometimes it's easier within our lives to start strong in our faith, isn't it? Sometimes it's easier in our lives when God brings us to a place where we see the decision that we need to make, a decision that we need to make to follow Christ, give our lives to Christ. Sometimes it's easier at that point, isn't it? Because that the bitterness of death we can still taste within our mouths, can't we? The bitterness that was there of a life that was far from God, we can still taste. And the sweetness now that we can taste of a life that has been turned over to Christ, and the love that we feel, the acceptance that we feel, the forgiveness that we feel, that we, 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 we taste that sweetness, don't we? And so that bitterness that we once tasted is no longer attractive, is it? But it's amazing, as we go on in our lives, that sweetness becomes like a regular taste, doesn't it? And and, and so we forget what the bitterness tasted like. We forget what it was like to know, to to live life without Christ before. And and so it, it amazes me how many people that I remember knowing years ago that followed and loved and pursued God with their lives and their refuge was in God as David is talking about here. And now I look at their lives and their life is falling apart and God has nothing to do with it. I, I, a friend of mine, it's always encouraging me to, to look back and see a friend of mine. His name is Jeff. <clears throat> and I had a conversation with him last summer. We sat and talked. And, and, and I was so, so encouraged because Jeff was the guy that invited me to church. I didn't grow up in church. He invited me to come. And, and, and it was through that invitation that I soon gave my life to Christ. And God, through high school and then college, really changed and challenged and and transformed me to to be a man after God's heart. Do you guys believe that today people can be a man or a woman after God's heart? I truly believe that. I believe that there are people sitting right here today that are men and women after God's heart. But, But it encouraged me because I see him still following and pursuing Christ. I know he's had some rough patches i've had some rough patches but 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 he is a man that is still pursuing and loving christ and and encourages me because that was the man the boy at the time that really opened the doors for me to even hear who jesus christ was through a simple invitation i I was encouraged yesterday we we did a a, a prayer uh, vigil at, at one of the churches just up the street from here and many of you guys came and said, you know what, for an hour, I'll come and pray. And Chris put this together, and it was amazing to, to go through this, this prayer stations that, that Chris had set up. And, and it walked us through this idea of, of confessing our sin and, and praying for those that are around us. And, and I want to show you, we, uh, Chris had us light candles 
for those that we wanted, those that had come and, and, and were praying for others to come to Christ. And, and so if you look at this, there's all of these candles in here that, uh, uh, that, that represent the people that came through and, and the people that, that were being prayed for, 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 for their lives, for them to find Christ in their lives. This banner we took and, and Chris had hung up and we use this to have people put up the names of people that they want to see give their lives to Christ. Can you see that, guys? These are names of people that you know that you say, these people desperately need to hear how God can be their refuge. These people desperately need an invitation, as my buddy invited me years ago, to hear a fresh story of who Jesus Christ really is. These are the names that you put up here. I, I can tell you last, I, uh, I, was, I wanted to be the last one to go through last night through this, this prayer vigil that Chris set up. And, and as I sat where we had this hanging up and I lit my candle, I weeped. Because I can still remember the bitterness of what it means not to know Christ. And I can still taste the sweetness of what it means to follow Christ and let God be my refuge. My prayer is that you can remember that too. Look at this. Let's continue on here. David continues and he says in verse 2, he says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. So David is not just taking refuge in in Christ, in God. David is not just taking refuge, but David realizes that God will accomplish the purposes that God says he will accomplish. And there's nothing going to thwart what God is going to do. Do you realize that within your lives? There is nothing that is going to thwart the plan that God has for your life. Do you know that? You know the desire that some of you have to be married? Do you know that God has given you that desire and God is going to fulfill that desire? Do you know that the desire that God has given you for the advancement in your, in your career, God has given you that desire and God will fulfill that desire? Do you know even the desire that God has given you for something to be made right? Somebody has wronged you and you have this desire for things to be made right, for justice to be done. Do you know that God has given you that desire because God is a just God? Do you know the desire that you might have for a change in career? God has given you that desire and God will make that desire come true. But we have to understand that happens in God's timing, not my timing. We have to understand as David is learning, that happens as David rests in God and who God is and trusting that God is going to fulfill his purposes. Not by David taking and taking things into his own, mat, into his own hands and killing Saul in a cave. That is, those things are not going to happen by us taking it into our own hands and making those things happen. Those things happen as we faithfully trust and follow Jesus Christ. 
Look here, let's continue on in verse 3. It says, David says, He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. David comes to the place where he says, Jesus is my salvation. You realize that? David says, I cannot save myself from this situation. I have to trust what God has told me. I have to trust that God is going to fulfill his purposes. I have to trust that salvation comes through Jesus Christ. And I'm not just talking about salvation of from death to life where I need to give my life to Christ. And that is true. But I'm talking about Jesus saves us from the things within our lives as well. Paul actually wrote a verse. Can we have that up here? It's in Philippians. Take a look at this. It says, Paul says this, he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul says everything is a loss. If you look up the Hebrew, or I'm sorry, the Greek word that is used in this, in this verse, the word that he uses, some, some scriptures say the word refuge. He says loss. That word is extremely strong that he uses. Some people take and they actually translate that word refuge as a uh, four-letter swear word that we would use today. Okay, Paul is saying everything. He says, I consider them garbage, he says, refuge, everything, a loss, that I may gain Christ. Look look here at, at what Paul says. If anybody can say that, that everything they have acquired and gained within their life is a loss compared to Jesus Christ, I believe it's Paul. Paul gained everything that we could imagine. And it goes, uh, Paul, next slide, please. And verse 4 starts, Paul says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence in things other than Jesus Christ, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. I have more, I have more circum, I have more, he says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, he says, as for passion and zeal, I had, I was passionate, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, he says, I was faultless based on the law. But he says, whatever I have gained is loss compared to knowing Jesus Christ is my Lord. I'm going to wrap this up here in a couple minutes. You can actually see in verse 4 of, of Psalm 57. He says, I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts. Men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. And you can continue to read that on your own. Psalm 57. David is at a place in his life where he realizes his need to take refuge in God, in God alone. He realizes that it is through Christ alone that is going to accomplish the purposes 
that God has set out for his life. David has realized, as Paul was saying later in one of his epistles, that everything is a loss compared to just knowing Jesus Christ. It's easy for us to make a decision to to follow Christ with our lives and say, yes, I want to know Jesus. But I have a question. Do we want to know Jesus because he first loved us or do we want to know Jesus because what he can do for us? It's a hard question. Do we love Jesus because what he has first done for us bringing us from death to life if we make that decision to follow him, to let him tell his story through us of God's grace and mercy? Or do we simply love Jesus because I know that following God, I'll see these things happen in my life? David realized something. David realized that for God to work through his life, that yes, he needed to take refuge in who God was, but David also had had to walk in faith and to risk. I, uh, I want you to know that I'm not willing... I, that I'm not going to tell you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. Decisions we make define us, I believe. Decisions we make define the road and the path that we take. And, and God broke my heart years ago to 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 use my life to see people come to know who he is and to taste of that life that I've tasted, that I do taste of in Christ. And just uh, just about a month ago, I, I made a huge step of faith and I, I'm not up here saying this to brag. I'm saying this because I will not challenge you to take a step of faith that I'm not willing to take. And I believe as we sit here today that God through this series is challenging each of us to take different steps of faith, to, to risk different things within our lives, to know and follow Christ more, to see him passionately work in our lives, to change us, to transform us, to tell his story in us in 2011. And just a month ago, I made a, I made a step of faith. I believe that God called me here to start a church, to start churches, this being the first at Awaken. And I'm excited for how God is steadily taking, maturing us, growing us, preparing us. Because I remember less than a year ago, sitting in my living room, and now we're here. And... I believe that God was calling me to take a step of faith. I've worked another job since being here. Um, God has allowed me to do engineering 
as, as my, my skill trade. And I worked that up until last month where I felt like God was telling me, okay, Mike, it is time to give your full energy to this. And so I took a step of faith and stepped out, trusting that God provides. And we're working hard. At, some of you guys that have been to our meetings know that half our support is outside the church. Half of our support is raised here in the church. Not my support, but just the church as a whole is what I'm talking about. For us to be able to do the things we do in the community, to love people, to be here in this theater. And part of that was I believe that God was telling me to take a step of faith away from my engineering job. And it has provided all kinds of opportunities. I have several meetings this week. I think it's three or four meetings with people who don't even know Christ. And I love having those meetings because I can sit across the table from them and I can ask them questions and I can see God working in their lives and I can invite them and see them come and see their lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I can tell you that it was extremely hard for me to take that step of faith. In fact, you can ask my wife. I think it's driving her crazy. But I tell you that because I don't want to challenge you to do something I'm not willing to do. That was something that I believe God told me to do. And I stepped out in obedience and faith. And I believe sitting here today, God is telling you to take a step of obedience and faith. I don't know what that is. And I want you to take a couple minutes here. There's a song that's going to play, and I want you to think and pray, God, what step are you asking me to take? Some of you, maybe you don't even know Christ, and you just need to take a little bit step further and say, who is this Jesus that, that Mike is always talking about? Maybe some of you guys are at that place and you're like, well, you know, I've never given my life to Christ. I just need to say, Jesus, take my life and make it what you want it to be. Maybe you're at that place. Maybe some of you have made a decision to give your lives to Christ, but you've never been baptized to publicly proclaim to all around to say, yes, I have made a decision to follow Christ and I want to be baptized to show people that. I want to be more outspoken with my faith and I believe that I need to be baptized to, uh, to show that as Scripture commands us. Uh, here in two weeks, we're going to do a baptism right up here if there's anybody that, need, that, that, that says God is challenging me to make that decision. I want to provide every opportunity for you to make the decisions God is calling you to make. Maybe, maybe God is challenging you. Some of these people you wrote down, God is saying you need to have a conversation with. Maybe God has challenged you saying you need to invite some of these people or maybe it's a challenge of, you know, you need to step out in faith and be a part of community. Be in the small group that we're starting this Wednesday. We're just going to get together. We're going to eat together. We're going to love each other and spend time together getting to know each other. And then we're going to be challenged a little bit by, by God's word. Maybe that is a step that God is challenging you to make. I don't know what those steps are, guys. But I do know that when we risk, when we take that step into the unknown, God is always there to, to show us the next step. I know that not by just what I read in Scripture, and it's promised in Scripture, but I know that too based upon experience. So I'm asking you to make the decisions today that God is challenging you to make. Turn to Psalm 40 if you have your Bible. This is another psalm that David wrote as he was in the cave, running from King Saul, trusting God, that God was his refuge. And there is a psalm that was written many years ago about this psalm. I want you to listen to this psalm, or to this song, to look at this psalm 
and to pray, God, what decisions are you asking me to make? And on the back of your card, you're going to see some areas there that you can mark to say, yes, this is a decision that I need to make. Maybe it's something that's not even on that card. I would challenge you to write that on there because I want to pray for you guys. That prayer vigil was amazing, not just because we were praying for the church, but we were praying for one another. And there's a, po- there's power, there's a powerful thing that happens when we pray for one another.